Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Good morning, Round Rock. I am out of state this morning, but I still wanted to introduce to you Randy Harris, who's bringing the word. Randy's been a long-term friend of Round Rock. He's been here to speak several times. Uh, He's also one of the people we have to thank for as many preaching interns that have been here at Round Rock. Uh, At one point, I was a student of Randy's, and uh, if he roasts me today, probably whatever he's saying is true because he got to know me for uh, some years. In all seriousness, though, uh, I'm extremely thankful for Randy and his preaching. Uh, Randy is one of the first men in my life who helped me cultivate a life of silence with God. I'm extremely thankful for him, and I'm thankful that he's here today to deliver this message. Church, will you thank him for being here? Randy, I'm going to hand it over to you. Well, I'm thinking if I was supposed to be cultivating a life of silence in Zane, I didn't do all that well. Uh, Great, great preaching student. And um, I am happily retired. I'm coming out of retirement. I I almost never preach now. It'll show. Um, uh, But for years, this this church took uh, interns we sent to them and did wonderful, wonderful, wonderful work with them. And we could never repay you for what you did. So this just is a little gift back for what you did. My, um, my sermon, uh, uh, by the way, uh, the reason I knew it was time to retire, the president of Pepperdine a long time ago said, uh, I knew it was time to retire when I had this dream. I was in a meeting, and I woke up, and I was. Uh, <laughs> and I, okay, it's time to retire, right? Yeah. Uh, I was given a lecture in a philosophy class. I gave an impromptu lecture on Schopenhauer, and I never thought of his name. I lectured on him for 10 minutes, never thought of his name. I had to come back the next period and say that guy I was talking about last period, that was Schopenhauer, and uh, it was, that was a sign, too. Um, I want to talk for a few minutes today about how to be a human being. And your first reaction is to think, okay, I may need you to help me with a bunch of things, but being human is not one of them. I got that down. I've been doing that for a while. Well, maybe and maybe not. Um, I'm a uh, I'm a baseball fan, and in one of my earlier lives, several summers, I went on one of these trips where you would uh, you would go see nine games in ten days in nine different stadiums. You'd do nothing but ride a bus and then watch a baseball game. I, th- I thought I was a baseball fan until I got on that bus with those people. Um, they're baseball fans. Um, and um, you'd see some good baseball and some bad baseball. Uh, one night we were watching the Florida Marlins. This was when they were bad, before they got good, before they got bad, before they got good, before they got really bad again. And they were terrible. Pitchers couldn't throw strikes. Hitters couldn't get timely hits. 
the base runners looked like cows wandering out in the in the pasture looking for looking for food and after the game the manager said i wish i could get everybody who was there their money back i don't know what we were doing out there but it wasn't baseball Well, what were they doing? Baseball. And then you go to another game, the pitchers are throwing strikes, and there's timely hitting, and there's an eye-popping double play, and at the end of the game you say, now that's baseball. And that's what I'm talking about. Is there a place where you can point and say, now that's being a human being. And those of us who aspire to Christian faith say there is. In our most fundamental confession, we point to Jesus Christ and says, that's what it looks like when you do human right. We often emphasize the other side. When you look at Jesus Christ, you see who God is. That's absolutely true. John couldn't be clearer about that. But there are two sides of that confession. We believe that Jesus Christ is fully, completely God and is fully, completely man. So if you want to see what a human being really looks like when human beings are doing humanity the way they should do it, we look to Jesus. So I want to look at uh, a passage from Paul who reflects on the great archetypes of humanity, Jesus Christ and Adam. And he makes a comparison, which is a little vague at the beginning, but the more you look at it, it becomes almost overwhelmingly moving as you see what it means to be a human being. Um, I, I belong to that generation of uh, people that sort of came after the Great Depression. My father was a Great Depression guy, which means he could fix anything even if he hadn't seen it broken. Uh, I can fix nothing. Uh, I try to buy items that are throwaways. You know, once you're done with them, you throw away and you go get a you, you go get a new one. I can't fix anything. Um, and as a result, uh, I don't have any tools because I wouldn't know what to do with them if I had one. But my dad, when he was alive, he would occasionally come to visit and to make him feel needed, this was the only reason I did it, I would save all these tasks around the house for him to do made him feel needed. And he would come to my house and he would be frustrated because there was a never a tool to do the right task. And so every Christmas he started buying me a tool so that he would have something to work with when he came to my house. Um, and I, I have discovered it's amazing how much easier to do a job when you have the right tool. Raise your hand if you've ever tried to do a job without the right tool. Okay. Um, one of my favorite books is by a Southern writer, Clyde Edgerton. 
you like Southern writing, you should read Clyde Edgerton. He writes with a cool Southern accent. And my favorite book by Clyde Edgerton is called Killer Diller because it's about a Southern Christian college. And I recognize everybody in the book. Uh, the president of the university is a sleepwalker, so he wakes up, walks around in the middle of the night in his pajamas, smiling, shaking hands, and asking people for money. The, 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 the Christian band there, they play hymns when the administration is there, but when the administration is gone, they play ACDC. You know, that's kind of place it is. And one of the more moving parts of the book is this deep friendship that develops from this ex-convict who has now converted to Christianity and, and come to school and this... Uh, um, uh, developmentally challenged young man, they developed this great friendship. And uh, the, the, the young man was opening cans with a bottle opener, if you can imagine that. Yeah. And so the other guy decides to show him how to open cans with a can opener. So he shows him how to use the can opener, how to open the can, and the guy says, yeah, but you can get it open with a bottle opener. And he says, well, I know, but a can opener was made to open cans. Yeah, but you can get it open with a bottle opener. He says, I know you can open it with a bottle opener, but you could run over it with a car and open it. It wouldn't make the car a can opener. He says, it would for a minute. Uh, <clears throat> you get the idea. We need to ask the question, what are human beings created for? Because if you get that question wrong, you wind up trying to open cans with a bottle opener. You're always just off. You're never quite, quite doing it right. Um, okay, Romans 5. Uh, I'm going to start with verse uh, 12, although there's some great stuff before that. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death came uh, to all men. If it's okay, I'm going I'm to substitute human there because you're included too, women. You know, it's not, it's not like it's all our fault. Um, because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam, Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. 
For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Well, like almost everything Paul writes, it's a little complicated. But the point is clear. And the most interesting thing is that he makes the comparison at all. It's as if he says the whole human story can be told in Adam and Christ. And once you understand that, everything else is commentary. So here's the story of Adam. He sinned. Well, that sends me back scurrying to Genesis 3 to see, okay, what's that all about? And I have to admit that Adam doesn't strike me as the brightest bulb on the tree. He's got a pretty good deal. Adam and Eve are hanging out in the garden. They're walking and talking with God in the, in the, in the cool of the day. They have plenty to eat. Apparently, there's no animosity between them and the natural world. There's no problem getting things to grow. They and the animals get along great. And the most stunning thing at all is Adam and Eve seem to be doing well. When you have a deal like that, why would you foul it up? And so there is this tempter in the garden, a serpent, who says, God's given you one tree you shouldn't eat out of. And that sends me scurrying in my mind, because I'm wondering, why would God put a tree in the garden and then put a sign up saying, don't eat from this tree? It would have been easier if he had just left it out. It's like you baking chocolate chip cookies, putting them on the center of the table and saying, these are the greatest chocolate chip cookies in the world, and then telling your children they can't have any. How does that work? And the serpent says, okay, if you eat of this tree, it will make you like God. And so the human pair go for the one thing they don't have their independence. Because if they can become like God, they won't have to depend on God anymore. They can go their own way. They can do their own thing. Put it in modern parlance, now I can do me. That's the original sin. Um, 
and the, uh, the human beings, uh, the creation story in Genesis, it says two things about human beings. Um, one of the things it says about human beings is that they're animals. The same, way, the same word that's used for the beasts of the field and the, and the fish of the sea and the crawling things, uh, that same phrase is used of human beings. It's called nefesh kaya, you're a living being. Uh, or to put it another way, you're an animal, which means you have the same biological limitations and needs that other animals do. And then the other thing that's said about human beings is you're created in the image and likeness of God. Now, that's not said about any of the other animals. You have this God spark in you that, according to the text, empowers human beings to be able to exercise dominion over the earth. So you are always both of those things all the time at the same time. You're an animal, and you're created in the image and likeness of God. Now that can get a little uh, that can get a little dicey. Um, it gives you two different ways to sin. One, you can forget you're created in the image and likeness of God and try to become an animal. Two, you can forget you're an animal and try to become God. And you apply the same word to both. Sin. What human beings do when they don't sin is, are you ready for this? They're human beings. Not animals, not God. Human beings. Um, I, tr I try not to... Uh, well, um, on Sunday mornings, the people who's, at, at the 8.30 service anyway, uh, the people whose biggest problem in life is that they're trying to become an animal, um, they're usually not here at 8.30 on Sunday morning. Yeah, the, the, the whole animal thing has been strenuous enough on Saturday night, it's kind of hard to get going this early. You play the music as loud as you can. You dance as fast as you can. You sleep with as many people as you can. You take a few stimulants and you try not to think. You try to become an animal. And those people are easy to pick on. But the greater temptation to the people who show up at an 8.30 service is not that they're trying to become an animal. It's that they're trying to become God. They're going to try to have their independence. They're going to try to be a responsible human being. They're going to try to, they're going to, try to do them well. And what the Bible calls this is sin. And so Paul says, here's Adam. He's faced with this moment. There's only one question before him. Will he trust God 
Or will he attempt to become the source of his own security? Will he assert his independence? And he asserts his independence, and guess what? The whole world goes to hell. So Paul says, his transgression is like a bomb that goes off and scatters through history. And Paul, for Paul, if that were the end of the story, it would be deeply tragic. But, he says, then there was another man, Jesus Christ, who managed to undo that explosion that Adam created. And this is the way he did it. He trusted God. Now, I want you to think about the story that Paul is telling here, because once you get it, it'll crawl under your skin and stay there. One man came to a tree and decided that God could not be trusted. He had to take care of himself. He had to assert his independence. And the whole world fell. And then a man came to a tree and said, not my will, but yours be done. He said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And the whole world was redeemed from the curse of Adam. Um, scripture is quite clear that Jesus Christ did not raise himself from the dead. God raised him. And um, it's a little confusing to think about what Jesus was doing between his death and his resurrection. I've always been a little confused about that. But there's this little obscure passage in First Peter that seems to suggest that Jesus was hanging out with the bad people. He was in a place like hell. Jesus Christ trusted God so much that he didn't try to save himself on the cross, but believed that God would not abandon him to hell. And the whole world changed. 
when human beings are really human beings, when they're doing it right, the defining characteristic of human beings is that they trust God. Um, my dear friend Aristotle had this wrong. Um, Aristotle's a really bright guy, probably the smartest guy in the history of the world, as far as I can tell. Knows about everything except this. And um, Aristotle thinks, well, okay, a human being is going to be identified by the one thing they can do that no other creature can do. And he thought that was abstract reasoning, mathematics. So he thought the truly fulfilled human being was the one who was rich enough to be able to take the afternoons off so they could do what they were destined to do, which was abstract mathematics. By the way, when the smartest person in the world comes up with a conclusion to what the good life is that every college sophomore knows is drop-dead stupid, <laughs> you know, that should make you pause. And his problems is he just misunderstood who human beings are. The fundamental characteristic of human beings is not their ability to do mathematics. The fundamental characteristic of human beings is their ability to trust God. That's what they were created to do. That's when a can opener is a can opener, when human beings trust God. And the whole rest of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is all about one topic. Will human beings trust God or not? That's all it's about. Or will we attempt to become the source of our own security? Now, I am intentionally talking about trust today, not love, because I think trust is harder. Okay, love is one thing. But can you trust God? Yeah. Can you trust God with all areas of your life? What would a human being in a church look like where people had decided what we're going to do is trust God. Because we live in a world that is so desperate and concerned and fearful about our security that we think the only way you can ever be secure is to be the source of your own security. Rather than letting God be the source of your security. Um... This is how to be a human being. Not being an animal, not trying to be God, but being the human being that God created you to be. One who can trust God and find God worthy to be trustworthy. The kind of human being that Jesus Christ was. When I talk to people about Jesus, I want to talk about the fact that if you want to know who God is, you've got to look at Jesus. When you look at Jesus, you'll find out God is the one who would rather die than kill his enemies, and that's crucially important. But we also look at Jesus Christ because we want to know who a human being is. And too often, we have settled for 
far less. What we, what we call humanity is fallen humanity, the humanity of Adam, not the humanity of Jesus Christ. Uh, well, Paul is convinced that if you give God a chance, if you'll follow Jesus on this, if you'll trust God, you'll find out that nothing can withstand the relentless love of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power through Jesus Christ our Lord. Before all ages, now and forevermore, world without end. Amen.